Welcome to the Tim Graham Show. The Tim Graham Show. This is Sports Radio 1270, The Fan. I know I'm going to get pimped. They're going to pimp me. Yeah, huh? I love sausage. Thank you, Tim. Shocking. Dizzying. How did this happen? When I bring the lumber. The Tim Graham Show. I diddled uh, some pole uh, over the weekend. Right. Not me so honia. Here we go. Twitter at 1270 a fan taking your calls at 270 1270 here we go the Tim Graham show you're gonna need a bigger boat we got a bigger boat today Matthew Fairburn is at the stern coming in to talk about some Buffalo Bills offseason Absolutely. We at The Athletic have been uh, churning out some content regarding the Buffalo Bills and their offseason needs, how they should address things, big issues, taking deep dives into every little aspect of the Bills offseason. And I've wanted to have Matt come in, and we're going to get into some of those topics here. Everything from how to rebuild an offensive line, the importance of the center in that whole discussion, what Josh Allen needs to do to go from a pretty successful rookie season to the next step as a technically a veteran. Once you're done with your rookie season, you become a veteran. He's going to have to start building on what he did in 2018. What the Bills need to do on defense, if much of anything, pass rusher. The stigma of having to recruit the Buffalo one of the stories that I did uh, in the uh, in the series that we have there, just because the Buffalo Bills have eighty-three or whatever million dollars to spend, doesn't mean people are going to be lining up to take it. What do the Bills do at wide receiver? Do you need a number one? That and much, much more coming at you here for the next two hours on the Tim Graham Show here on Sports Radio twelve seventy. The fan joined by. My co-host, Mike Rodak of ESPN.com. Jonah Bronstein of Bronstein Enterprises is here. We're going to get to some UB talk. Big win at Jar Arena last night in Akron, beating the Zips. Another big contest coming up against Toledo this week. Bobby Rosati diddling the knobs. (laughs) Bobby Rosati uh, came up with a pretty impressive football transaction right before we came on the air bobby uh what was it, it was. can you share it is this is breaking news by the way this right. is a big pickup it absolutely is so uh, somebody must have dropped this guy this guy's been dropped at some point right yeah so what it, it looks like uh poop johnson uh is signing with toronto argos in the cfl so he, he obviously Cor- uh, you know him Corey poop johnson he um I know who doesn't he's, he actually <laughs> he's a top DT in the uh, CFL now who so dropped just, him though uh, looks like who he dropped came poop from uh, and it's spelled P O O P it sure is he goes um, uh, this voluntarily he goes by this is not say, a joke Jonah is this a nickname or a birth it is name? a it is a nickname the, Corey yeah. is his is his first so I can understand why he wants to go by poop his first name <laughs> is Corey. he spent seasons in the NFL too 2016 and 2017 off season sorry. Offseason did not foul, but he recently came from Winnipeg Blue Bombers. So he, um, well, so he's this. been dropped a bunch of times. He's not yeah. getting talked about on the Tim Graham show if his name is just Corey Johnson. That's a fact. Want to know why he's called that? 
Sure. I mean, I don't know. I think it's working out in my favor because, you know, I'm starting to look a little slim. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? So I guess, and when I got a lot of on my mind, I can just go ahead and poop it all out. But I ain't got to worry about it. You know what I mean? <laughs> Simodium. So yeah. It's a good commercial for a modium. <laughs> I know. Of testimonial. Yeah. All right, then. Poop Johnson back in the CFL with the Toronto Argonauts. Did you ever hear Will that? Will we wear uh, number two? Oh, God. <laughs> that had to <laughs> come out. That's a fair question. That reminds me of the uh, Key and Peel East and West. Did you ever see that? The oh, drag? that's that's legendary. Did you see Duke as number two? <laughs> Your wife did. Excuse me? <laughs> <laughs> True story. All right. Excuse me. I'm just going to leave it there. <laughs> Matthew Fairburn, what is your take on the Bills offseason so far? There really haven't been a ton of updates. Of course, they signed Spencer Long yesterday, a guard center, and uh, people are wondering what that's going to mean. He has started quite a bit during his time in the NFL. He was with the Jets last year. He seems to have a problem with shotgun snaps. Uh, So that's why the Jets moved him from center to guard. I don't know that he is going to be the... And everybody's been looking for the heir apparent to. Uh, uh, I'm drawing a blank. I want to say Eric Jeff Wood. Jeff Hangartner. Uh, no, who's uh, the uh, Bodine? Yes, Russell Bodine. Russell Bodine. Everybody's been wondering who's going to uh, pick up the mantle from Russell Bodine. Although Russell Bodine is wondering if perhaps he could just hang on to that mantle because he's still under contract. So. He is. Yeah. He's coming back from a bad injury. Last I saw Russell Bodine, he was uh, on one of those scooters. Yeah, that's not good. Not to downplay it, but as we've talked about before, those broken fibulas tend to heal up without. They they look worse than they actually are. Sure. Gordon Hayward, et cetera. The Bills needed an upgraded center. I mean, Matt Milano is the same thing. Right. Right. But the Bills needed an upgrade at that position. They've upgraded that position by hiring Bobby Johnson, the offensive line coach. Those are about the only moves we've seen so far, of course. Our Potential upgrade. I'm not going to you know, call Bobby Johnson the, the new Dante Scarnecchia. Let's, I won't let's either, see. but I think everybody looked at Juan Castillo's work as highly suspect. Right. Not yeah, only, hard to be a downgrade. Not only with the Bills, but in a previous incarnation. You, you, know, it's, you wonder, you know, Juan Castillo's a survivor. He's the type of guy who... Uh, He's, he's an asset on a coaching staff, and why he's able to find work is because he does what he's told. He doesn't create waves, which a lot of coaches don't want a guy who's going to second guess or come up with his own original thought. You just follow your orders. You, just, you've, you get your directive from the coach, and you follow it out. And so that's how a guy like Juan Castillo, who's an offensive coordinator, or I'm sorry, an offensive line coach, becomes the Carolina Panthers' defensive coordinator. Eagles, yeah. Eagles, I'm sorry. Um, when Sh- when uh, Sean McDermott got let go from the right. Eagles, Andy Reid flipped Juan Castillo from offensive line coach to defensive coordinator because he's just going to follow rules. And it's something that, that we were talking about before the show even started, a little you know story that I'm working on and doing some research about uh, the power of nepotism in the NFL and how – Somebody like Charlie Weiss Jr. is uh, 
at 25 years old is an offensive coordinator at the Division One level, despite never having played a down of college football, and what 18 years old was a quality control coach at the with the Florida Gators. Um, it's because these coaches they don't care other than having somebody they can trust. Can I trust you? Come on to my staff. I'll figure. I'll tell you what you should do and how you should run this drill and handle these players. I'll tell you what you should do. I just need to know I can trust you to not be a leak to the press or to sabotage me or to stab me in the back. And that's where a lot of coaching staffs suffer, I think, is because they don't collect big minds or people who can really push in a uh, who can be progressive. Coaches want to hire guys that they're just comfortable with. David Culley is the perfect example. He had never coached quarterbacks in the NFL, and Sean McDermott, knowing that the Bills had a quarterback issue when he arrived here, made David Culley his quarterbacks coach. And not to say, you know, it's always hard to quantify how good a job these guys do, but the fact of the matter is that guy had never coached quarterbacks at the NFL level, despite being around for many years. And so that speaks to exactly what you're talking about. He found a guy that was older, trusted, you know, just a good soldier and plugged him into a spot where probably doing him a favor if he ever wants to be an NFL head coach right. someday to allow him to, on to check that box and say, things. I coach quarterbacks because receivers coaches don't become head coaches. No. So David Cully, aspirations to be a head coach someday. You're never going to do it from being a receivers coach. It just doesn't happen. Or Rex Ryan firing Greg Roman two games into the 2016 season and then replacing him with Anthony Lynn who is his that's his guy right. Anthony Lynn is Rex's guy Greg Roman wasn't Rex was in trouble everybody knew it beginning of that season Anthony Lynn has turned out to be a damn good football right. coach he so has and that but but in I that think case the, it was the Greg David Coley thing to me is more of a threat you know maybe play around with that as at your your safeties coach or your linebackers coach you know do a guy a favor Ed quarterback Reed. is the most important position Ed on the field. And you look around the league, there are guys jumping from quarterbacks, coach. You know, that's where you make the jump, either to offensive coordinator or even in some cases head coach. So obviously that's an important position for developing a coach and developing the most important position on the field. And they had a guy in there that had zero experience doing it. That's right. Well, I mean, we, that's a little bit of a tangent I didn't expect to get on, but it's fresh on my mind because I've been doing a lot of research on that. And um, and that's really where the Bills have made most of their moves this offseason in adjusting the coaching staff. Um, and as I th- I'll throw it out there, just yeah. in general, what do we think of the coaching staff changes? I, I want to make this show kind of a, uh, a holistic view of what the Bills have done this offseason, what they're going to do. And yes, we're going to get into some Sabres talk and we're going to talk about UB men's basketball and what's going on uh, in the hoop scene here uh, in Western New York. But in general, I, we have Matt Fairburn here in, in studio. We're going to take advantage of that. So where do we think the Bills are with what they've done so far? Well, I think I've, I mentioned this last week, but the fact that none of the offensive hires were Brian Dayball guys was interesting. We're the most interesting part. We of didn't talk about that on the air. We did talk about it here Off in the, the studio. So yeah, so let's uh, let's mention that. Well, I think we once they made the moves in firing Juan Castillo, firing Terry Rubisky, and then once David Culley left for the Ravens, and then you also had both of the assistants on the offensive line as well, who were Letgo and Andrew Dees and uh, Will Vlakos. So. There's a bunch of openings, and I think our expectation was 
Brian Dable would have some sort of say maybe in bringing in guys who know his system or he has a, a background with. And as far as we can tell, there was none of that that happened. It was Ken Dorsey at quarterbacks who is or, or was the Panthers um, quarterbacks coach when Sean a huge upgrade, I think, for Josh Allen. However, a Josh mind, Allen and, probably knows this offensive system better than Ken Dorsey at this point. Right, but it's not but in as terms much of technique of, and right, coaching. A, I agree. And thought, psychology. That's right. where you want the the quarterback's coach to have at least played the position before. So he right. can communicate with uh, with Josh Allen, uh, with the rest of the quarterback room from a between the ears standpoint. You know, just right. like a or this is what I I've experienced this before. I've had to deal with this before. I've had a decision like this stick with me for four days after a game. I've known that I've needed to look at a future opponent this many days before a game or to, uh, all right, you need to go back and take a look at film from this coach at this point to look at this situation. You know, there's, there's all kinds of things that a, a coach, just a general football coach can do. You know, like you take right. a look at the high school level and the college level. You don't have a lot of assistant coaches at the college level. Yeah, you, a coach is a coach is a coach. But when you get to the NFL and there are 20 of them on your staff, if you're going to be nuanced on your position, then be nuanced in the thought and have a guy who's experienced with it. So that's where I think that um, Derek Anderson is going to be a huge help. He's like almost an assistant quarterback's coach. I think you take a look at the situation, the quarterback room from the coach – uh, on down through the three position guys, uh, the guys who are on the roster, so much healthier for Josh Allen. I mean, compared to last year, you're compared looking at David Cully, Nathan Peterman, and that's it. Yeah. I mean, where were you going to find your football knowledge or your quarterbacking knowledge out of that group? Yeah, I think with Ken hey, Dorsey, what you have is a guy that wasn't even very good at the position, which I think actually speaks to his value. Is he had very little in the way of arm strength or athleticism, really any of the traits that make a guy like Josh Allen stand out. And yet, Ken Dorsey hung around the league for a long time. And as we've seen with Matt Barkley, Derek Anderson, whoever it may be, that the guys that stick around as backups do that because they understand how to play the position. They understand how to add value outside of, you know, what they're doing on the field. And and that's more important at quarterback than at most positions. And it's night and day now what Josh Allen has at his disposal in terms of resources. And I don't even know. I mean, you would want Josh Allen to know the offense better than any new coach that they bring in. You'd probably want him to know that offense better than everybody other than Brian Dable because it's his offense. But I still think Ken Dorsey probably knows just as much or close because when you've played in as many systems as Ken Dorsey has and played as much football as he has, you're going to understand concepts and different things you know that guys are doing. I mean, when I would sit down with Joe Licata on a weekly basis, it felt like he knew more about that offense than a lot of guys playing in it, just because he's pretty astute in terms of what's going on on the field. And Ken Dorsey, no offense to Joe, is probably even more so well-versed, given that you know, he played in the league. He coached very recently, um, had good success with Cam Newton. So I think, again, it's hard to say and it's hard to measure what's a good hire. I think sometimes position coaches get way too much credit and sometimes they get too much blame. But it, it's hard for me to, you know, 
envision a scenario where this guy isn't a pretty big upgrade over David Culley. Yeah, and that's – I think I meant it more or less from a, a coaching standpoint and more from a political standpoint where you don't have – if I'm Brian Dayball, I'm probably questioning kind of where I stand given that it doesn't seem like he had very much pull in terms of bringing in these coaches. I don't know that for a fact, but none of these guys had a background with him. In Ken Dorsey's case, he has a background working at least alongside Sean McDermott. Chad Hall was somebody who Sean McDermott brought in last year who has the connection to Philadelphia. Um, And then Bobby Johnson and Terry Heffernan really don't have any connection to either. So if I'm Brian Dayball, I'm thinking, well, this isn't really – my staff, for instance, that I put together myself. These aren't guys. It, it like, exhibits that Brian Dable doesn't have much leverage. Exactly. Well, and I don't know the answer to this question, but how many offensive coordinators do have that kind of pull? Because this is Sean McDermott's staff. His name is on it. And I, I would probably hazard a guess that in most situations around the league, that's how it goes. Rick Dennison didn't hire all those assistants either. And – Brian Dable could leave next year to become a head coach if the offense takes a massive jump. I'm not saying he should be at the top of anybody's list right now, but that's what you're dealing with with coordinators. So I don't know the answer to the question, but I don't know how many offensive coordinators or defensive coordinators have that kind of say. What if it goes the other direction? So that's one potential outcome is that he brings Josh Allen along. This is a 10-win team, 11-win team next year, and he is a head coaching candidate. The other potential outcome is that this is a team that starts off slow. They're 2-4, and 2-5 and five again. Things aren't looking like they're moving in the right direction. Josh Allen hasn't taken that step forward everybody's looking for. Is Brian Dayball, having coached the 30th-ranked offense in his first year, in a position where – Sean McDermott would say, let's let's make a move here. And then you have Ken Dorsey, whom McDermott interviewed for his offensive coordinator position when he first got here in 2017 before they hired Dennison and would seem to be the logical candidate to take over. So that's that's what struck me is it seems like there's there's a situation or at least a a scenario where Ken Dorsey could eventually become the offensive coordinator if things don't work out for Brian Dayball. But there's also the scenario where he could still become the offensive coordinator because things did work out for Brian Dayball. Um, But either way, it just doesn't seem like what we expected coming into the offseason that, hey, maybe Brian Dayball will bring along some of his guys, which he did. I mean, with the two Alabama guys last year and Shea Tierney and Will Vlakos, and one of them's gone. But none of those hires this offseason were his guys. All right, we're going to talk more about the Bills' offense uh, when we come back after the break, uh, Josh Allen's development. And, of course, everybody knows that Josh Allen and his evolution is going to be uh, less about the coaching staff and more about that offensive line and whoever he's going to be throwing the ball to. Uh, With $83 million to spend, we're going to get into what the Buffalo Bills uh, should do there uh, or what we expect them uh, to have to deal with. When we come back here on the Tim Graham Show, Sports Radio 1270, The Fan. Let's meet the players from the East. T.J. Jackson, Wayne State University. Tavares Smith King, Merrimack College. Kyle Royal, Smoochie Wallace, University of Miami. Desquarius Green Jr., 
University of Notre Dame. Jack Marius Tactheratrix, Michigan State University. The Jasper Probenkruck III, South Carolina State University. Leos Maxwell Gillio, East Carolina University. Jamaris Jamar, Jamaris and Lamar, University of Middle Tennessee. Now let's meet the players from the West. Swerverton L. Gooding Splat, Saskatchewan University. These are 12 washing beard, Jones College. Sequester Grundleplith MD, Adam State. TJ AJ RJ, backslashes fourth, the fifth, Albion College. Dan Smith, BYU. Tim Graham Show. Yes, I do have mnemonic devices that the we will Tim have. Graham Show. Prominent, prominent listener sent uh, this gift to me. I will have a big unveiling. Jim Brown's still a free agent. This is Sports Radio 1270, The Fan. Are we good here? I, I think I missed my cue. <laughs> I was too busy. No, there's some drums. No, not the cue on the radio. I missed your your telling me that I, oh, I was no. clear to talk. No, whenever you want. Thanks, Bobby. This is your solo, Tim. <laughs> Isn't that's always the cue, right? To go get a beer at the concert when the bassist gets his solo, or when the drummer especially gets his solo. Even that was always the worst part. I saw Van Halen in concert a couple of times. Now you want to hear Eddie Van Halen do his solo, of course. Michael Anthony, yeah, I'll get into that. He's he's a showman. As soon as Alex Van Halen started going at it, nah, time to get a beer. John Bonham, though. Well, he's Neil dead. Pert. I saw. He's him. almost dead. Did you ever see? Oh, he, they can't even perform anymore. Did you ever see Rush live? Never have. Not a Rush guy. Oh my I god. Did. Matthew Jarburn's seen him a handful well, of times, haven't my you? My dad has seen Rush like like every tour or something 40 like that. Forty times or something yeah, like that. That's His how many albums they band. have. So. But. I took him to Toronto. He'd never seen him in Toronto. It was their 40th anniversary tour. I think oh, yeah. it was like their last tour. Right. And yeah, he, Toronto's their hometown. It was oh pretty. Oh my god! I saw them electric. there in '07, and it was unbelievable. I, I mean, the, the people. There's only hardcore Rush fans there. There's no, you know what I mean. There's nobody that's like, oh, let's see what it's like. So it's intense, but it, oh my god, they're unbelievable. Yeah, that's. Uh, I wish I would have seen them live. There's there's a handful of acts that I'm not super into, but I am. I would like to. I'm not a huge Springsteen guy, but before I die, I want to see Springsteen live. Right. Um, Paul McCartney. I'm. Although I hear he does a great show. Yeah, he's good. Uh, Paul McCartney. Bob Dylan. Now I he's super hit or miss because he churns through his musicians so much that he is at. Once he's been with his backup group for a period of time, I guess the shows are fantastic, but he'll fire them or they'll quit. And when they do bring in the new people, I guess it's just a jumbled mess. Mm -hmm. So you never know what you're going to get. So he's been at Shays. He was down at St. Bonaventure or something like that within the last few years. He's been at the Erie County Fair, Art Park. He, He comes here. Yeah. Maybe not every year, but pretty regularly. But I feel I'm always hesitant because I feel yeah. like I, it could be a wasted night and I'll be disappointed. I saw Bob Dylan in Utica maybe 15 years ago. It was probably the best concert, one of the best concerts I've ever been to. I haven't been to a lot, but it, at that point it was amazing. And I think he was at the Erie County Fair or something like that a year later. And I didn't go. And people that went said, oh, he was terrible. It was horrible. So, yeah, it's, it's hit and miss. <laughs> If you're Bob Dylan, how do you get mentally prepared to go out there and do a county fair? How old is he? <laughs> a county fair. 
look it up. I've been on a big Bob Dylan kick lately. So I love Bob Dylan. I love really? Bob Dylan. I love. I have. Yeah, I have a ton of his stuff. Um, <sighs> but seventy-seven. The, but the idea of seeing isn't him his live son is, really good? Yeah, Jacob Dylan well? from the Wallflowers. Yeah. Excellent. All right, so Josh Allen, and uh, the big upgrade that the Bills need to do for him is on the offensive line. Are we in agreement there? Absolutely. Yeah. All right, so Matt, you've written about this: uh, how to restructure an offensive line with uh, some emphasis on. The center, the center being a veteran, I know you spoke with Brandon Bean about it. Um, Spencer Long is a hire. I, I, I don't want to, I don't want to um, put words in your mouth or have you uh, quibble over uh, what I think of Spencer Long and where he fits in this whole thing. So tell me where, where do you think this whole master plan goes uh, for the Bills and their offensive line? Well, it's funny. I, yesterday, I tweeted out that Spencer Long was a solid addition, thinking that was a pretty lukewarm take, and I got a few people like pretty up in arms about it like what makes you think this is a solid addition and on experience alone experience alone he was good in Washington he was quite good and got a big contract from the Jets and he's an early second accounts, round pick didn't have a very good third year round. last year what, what was he what was he third what was he drafted 2014 okay I'm sorry oh, but sorry he also is getting pretty good money and I think that points to him competing for one of what I would consider three open spots on the interior of the offensive line. I think center and both guards. overall. Sorry about that. You know, Wyatt Teller isn't, you know, entrenched at left guard, and they have a huge hole at center, and John Miller is a free agent at right guard. So they need some, you know, bodies in there, guys that have been there and done that, and, you know, whether he can – still snap the football. I know he had an injury last year to a tendon in his finger or his hand that was mm-hmm. causing problems with him snapping the football. Maybe he's, you know, best fit at guard, but they need quite a few starters and I think there's a certain peace of mind going into free agency knowing you already have one guy that could compete. And that's what Brandon Bean mentioned when I talked to him about centers was that it'd be nice to have a veteran that you know has been there and done that that you don't have to groom because it's not an easy position center that is to jump in and play right away. Now this clearly isn't a good sign for Ryan Groy, but do you think this closes the door on Ryan Groy being re-signed? Ryan Groy was the swing interior lineman, some center, some guard. He's a, he's an unrestricted free agent. I think it depends on what they do with Vlad Dukas. Like if Vlad Dukas is still here, they don't cut him, then you know, you're probably you're getting I mean, you're still probably looking at free agent centers and guards, and I don't think Ryan Groy's at the top of that list. So it's a question of how many of those guys do you want to have in your roster. And if you cut Vlad Dukas, then do you sign Ryan Groy to a minimum deal? I mean, it, at that point, it's it's probably you know one half dozen the other. Yeah, I don't think he's a priority. I don't think, yeah. I think the idea of bringing in a guy like Spencer Long gives you a fallback option in case free agency and the draft don't quite go – as well as you want them to. There's two centers that most people think are sort of the prize of free agency, Matt Paradis from Denver and Mitch Morse from Kansas City. One or both of those guys could just re-sign with their teams or choose to go elsewhere. As you you wrote about, it's not always a slam dunk recruiting guys to come to Buffalo. And so to have – and then you don't know how things are going to go in the draft, and Brandon Bean has always said he's going to take the best player available. And – I think that's why you see signings like this 
where now you can go into free agency and maybe you don't feel like you have to, you know, it's Matt Paradis or bust. You you can not get into a crazy bidding war over that guy, or you can go into the draft and not force yourself to take a guard in the second round when the board tells you to take something different. So I, you know, people seem a little bent out of shape about this, just like they were when Jeremiah Searles got re-signed, but it's a good reminder to people that they need bodies in there. They have a lot of free agents. I think it's an instinctive reaction from a Bills fan when they see a signing like this and say, this is it. You know, free agency hasn't even started yet, folks. So let's not just assume that that this is the only move or that this is the center that the Bills are going after. He could be Spencer, a guard. Spencer Long might not even be in the mix at center. And you if know, this know, is we don't... the only move they make, then that's awful. Story. It's an awful yes. move. But I think the other thing is This is a that, bonus almost. This is a pre-free agency right. signing. You know, hate to bring up the name, but kind of like Vontae Davis last season, you know, they signed him before free agency started. Obviously that didn't work out, but... I think right. we also have to see what type of guaranteed money Spencer Long is looking at. Right. You know, will they be able to cut him at the end of training camp? A, a thirteen or fifteen million dollar contract looks nice, but if they can cut him without much penalty at the end of camp, then it doesn't mean anything. So I think, you know, there's still, like you said, it is very early, and it's nice to have a guy like that under your belt before free agency even opens. Yeah, I would doubt that there would be an easy out for the Bills after training camp. Um, otherwise, I think Spencer Long would have waited um, for you know more offers to come in or more more time to pass there if he wasn't really guaranteed much beyond August. But He clearly had a market to get the type of money he right. got after the year that he had. Right. So if he can stay healthy and play, I don't know, one of the guard spots is probably, you know, the worst-case scenario. Mm-hmm. Uh, or – you know, provide depth. They've had quite a few injuries there. You mentioned Vlad Dukas. Who knows if they bring him back? He was sort of an assistant offensive line coach at the end of the year <laughs> last year, a healthy scratch for. But that's what I think people need to realize is the the state of the line play is really bad, and in some cases they don't even have players to to put in there right now. And sure. so having a guy like this, you guys were talking about the Patriots <coughs> offensive line last week. You know. Pretty sure people weren't tripping over themselves to praise the Patriots over the Trent Brown move last year, but he turned out okay. So, you know, whether he fits in with Bobby Johnson or whatever it may be, this could be a value signing for them. And in regard to Spencer Long having an appeal or maybe wanting to wait, I think that you probably don't have as much leverage as you do right now if you're Spencer Long because the market is so limited. If a team wants to sign somebody, they can sign you now. If you wait until free agency opens, then you're competing with all the guys who are available. So I think maybe uh, maybe Spencer Long looking at it that way. And some guys just want to sign and get on a team and just know that they're going to be somewhere, know where they're going to be rather than have to wait. What are we looking at, another month uh, until a free agency opens? Less so, than that, yeah. Uh, yeah well, so, exactly, actually. But there's month. also that perception of if he waits till free agency – He's been on the market, you know, X number of weeks. And I think there's kind of a a thing that snowballs where teams say, well, nobody else has touched him, you know, and his value just automatically starts to go down. So the quicker he could get signed, the better off he was going to be. And I would think there was some sort of market if he got this kind of contract. Yeah, it's it's we'll have to see. It, It can go either way. I mean, Bills signed two of these guys last year. And one, as you mentioned, was Vontae Davis and the other was Chris Ivory. 
before free agency started. And obviously Davis didn't work out. I'd say Ivory did, I mean, to the extent that he could, given, as we talked about, the offensive line. Um, I mean, who knows? It's it, Money-wise, it looks like a similar deal to what the Bills gave Chris Williams a few years ago, who they were trying to resurrect from his days with the Bears and Rams. Um, that didn't work out, but, hey, there's other deals that have for, for offensive linemen. So They also have tons knows? of money to spend. Right, you know, and that's, that's the thing. That's they, not an they issue can afford when, to when they need the money, this. this guy will be long gone. What do the Bills need no to do at tackle? I want to get into that before we hit the break, uh, just so that way we've hit every position here on the offensive line. What? Uh... It's a trickier one because of the draft. I think, ideally, if you're looking to upgrade at left tackle, that's probably going to come from the draft. It's not that there's left tackles you know, hanging out there, or at least ones you'd, you'd put in over Deion Dawkins. So if you're sitting there at nine and Jonah Williams or um, – Jawan Taylor, the guy from Florida, or somebody else you like at that spot, and you take him, then I think you put Dawkins on the right side, or you start the rookie on on the um, on the right, and you have Dawkins on the left. I just don't think free agency affects that as much. But then again, you have Jordan Mills, who's a free agent. So if you don't do anything, then you're looking at a big hole on the right side. I just don't think there's going to be as much money thrown around in that spot as there might be center if they do go after a Paradis or a Morse. Or well, Daryl Williams at right tackle is interesting yeah. because in 2017 he had a great year. You know, the Carolina connection that people are already sick of, but he's a, a good player coming off a, a season loss to injury. You could maybe get him on a, a, you know, Trent Murphy type of discount. And then the question becomes what happens to Deion Dawkins because he wasn't very good last season. Has he earned the right to be the left tackle? Do you need to switch him to right tackle? I always, you know, heard people say coming out that he was better fit at guard. So to me, he's earned nothing. Brandon Bean didn't draft him. And so I don't think Brandon Bean's going to hesitate to add a left tackle uh, with that top 10 pick if he thinks one would be an upgrade. And the way Deion Dawkins played, I don't think it would be too hard to upgrade that spot. You can try to trade Dawkins if that happens. When we come back, we'll get into some more Bills talk and uh, also some hoops with Jonah Bronstein on UB Men and uh, what's going on around the Western New York college hoops landscape. It's been been prolific all season. Canisius is playing well without its best player. A little bit of breaking news. What's this? Adrian Wojnarowski reporting Jalen Adams from St. Bonaventure signed for the rest of the season with the Atlanta Hawks. Was on a two-way contract before that. No, very nice. Some big four news that you only get on ESPN. ESPN. (laughs) (laughs) On Twitter. Well, not even that because you just got it on the Tim Graham show. That's right. So you you don't even have to check. I was going to say only on the Tim Graham (laughs) show, but Adrian Wojnarowski just tweeted it. You don't even have to confirm or check and see if anybody else reported that or the press release came out first. Like, you know. This is the only place you're going to get it. Especially Bana. A Graham bomb. Adrian was on the Bucky and Sully show this morning, correct? He was, yeah. yeah. On this radio station. Mm -hmm. Well, Woj is like the the Bonnie news guy. He's got to get his scoops. There's a bunch of them. Now, he's a St. Bonaventure grad, as is Mike Vaccaro of the New York Post. All right, when we come back, we're going to have some more College Hoops talk, some more Bills. Obviously, the entire show is going to be loaded with Bills. When we come back here on the Tim Graham Show, Sports Radio 1270, The Fan. 
The Tim Graham Show. This is Sports Radio 1270. The Fan. Provoke thought. What happens if you flick it? On Twitter at 1270 The Fan. Buffalo, New York. Taking your calls at 270-1270. I mean, didn't you ever run so fast you thought your legs were going to fall off? You know, like when you were like running toward the swings or, or running away from Satan? It's just some good old-fashioned American girl-on-girl action. Tim Graham Show. Now on Sports Radio 1270 The Fan. Welcome back to the Tim Grab Show, Sports Radio 1270, The Fan. How about at ya? I am Tim Graham of The Athletic, joined here by my usual co-host, Mike Rodak of ESPN.com. Jonah Bronstein's here. He's handling things for Periscope. You can see a live video feed of the Tim Graham Show and all past Tim Graham shows. Sounds like we the music that you'd hear in a hipster bar in Manhattan. <laughs> yeah. Yes, so. Bobby, what are you wearing today? AFC Championship uh, hoodie. Why need I say the team? Well, I, it's not the Bills. I mean, <laughs> how about you say? 1992. But why do you buy those? Um, why is the AFC Championship mean a lot to you, Bobby? No, but I, I last year I bought one. I just figured since it's kind of getting near the end, it would be cool to have one every year they do it. So I'll obviously get one next year, and then you well, know. So here's the so question: you, Why didn't you get the Super yeah. Bowl? I, I'm getting. I have. I just did. I just ordered a, a shirt, and I also have a six long shirt, the Tom Brady one that he issued right after he issued. won with the six no. on it. Did you TV buy that 12. before the Super Bowl or after? No, after. But the thing is, with the five, the which I do have. The six was not available No, no, no. I mean, no, the this, five was. This I'm talking about. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You bought it before. I didn't, I didn't get it until after the Super oh, Bowl. Oh, okay. It could be a collector's item at some I point. But I believe you're probably decreasing the value of it. By, by wearing it? using it. <laughs> Bobby likes to layer. Do you layer. have all the old ones? Because I bet um, those are. I have, no, I have something from every year. I don't know if I have. Well, I mean, no. I bet those are going for year. big bucks on yeah. eBay. Do you have division title? Get out of here. No. Really? I wouldn't be surprised. Those are worth big a lot of money? AFC championship yeah. gear? Potentially. Yeah, because I don't think they really issue because it's, that it's Because it's nobody rare. wants to buy them. Right. Except Bobby Rosati. Right. Well, this one, this was a But game. now they've got, what, nine Super Bowl appearances? I stand out. Yeah, that, you know, that's and now right. like they've got more cachet as a dynasty. And yeah. so, like, if you've got the AFC, you know, the appearances are almost as impressive a feat as yeah, that's true. you know the four, you know the 13. nine appearances. Well, then where's your years. NF your, the uh, AFC East Championship hat? <laughs> or I, I don't look good in hats. AFC East and, jersey. Yeah, see, it's got to be on-field gear too because yeah. that's more valuable. If you can be like Tom Brady wore this while he was getting the right. AFC, you know, trophy or whatever. You got to cut those sleeves off so you can look like uh, <laughs> Belichick. I know. I actually I cut a the collar of one of my old old ones and it looks like that but not because of that dig it got to wear a whistle with that and spin it around <laughs> like you're checking out your troops warming yeah. up before the big game <laughs> big bill i once went to hockey camp with a kid who had an edmonton oilers stanley cup champions shirt wow. from the year that they lost to what? the carolina hurricanes <gasps> That I would pay money for. That's awesome. His dad worked the for the th- company that made them. Uh, and so, like, the one that everybody jokes, like, all the kids in Africa are going to have L.A. Rams, Super Bowl champs gear. He had the Edmonton Oilers 
shirt from if they would have won. Oh my god, which that is pretty would be cool. Awesome. That would be sweet. Did he get it in Africa? <laughs> I don't think so. You know which one I'd like to have of that? 2007, right, Rodak? Why are you looking at me, right, Rodak? Because, <laughs> come on, 19 and 0, let's go. That would be awesome to have. Remember, I mean, Rodak? For, for the what brand, if? I'll say sure. What yeah. if? I want to wear <laughs> yeah. around something that You don't have to wear it. would be cool Patriots. to have. Yeah. What was your to. favorite Patriot season, Mike? My favorite <laughs> Patriot season? 2001 was a fun little time. I actually have a 2007, or I don't think I have it anymore, but that year I got the Giants Super Bowl champs t-shirt and walked around school with it in suburban Boston because I really didn't like the Patriots growing up. That's a statement, though. I walked around and, like, that was a that was a fun day at school. I didn't wear it just once. I I wore that shirt quite a bit. And wow. as the years went by, it, it became even better because yeah. it would take people a second. They'd be like, "Wait a second. <laughs> and then the Giants beat them doing? a second time. So yeah, it, it was really a. I have to see if I still have that shirt. It seems like a bad dream now. When the Bills were going to Super Bowl, you could buy these at like the local supermarket, and literally everybody you know had pretty much all four of the AFC Championship sweatshirts. Right. Like if you have those, parents, those are worth yeah. something. Uh, I think. Yeah, well, that's all you 20 got. 20 years later. That's all you got. Right, it's a little a bit Bills more important for, for them and than it is for the Patriots. Right, more significant because nobody else has ever gone to four in a row. That would be a lot cooler if it was, like, from the early 2000s. Yeah, yeah definitely. 15 years from now, if they have, like, four more rings, yeah. it might be kind of cool. We're hoping on three, but. We're cutting into Jonah's time here talking about UB hoops. <laughs> <laughs> we don't have any UB sweatshirts. I do. Maybe it was hard to find. I went looking for some UB gear around Christmas time, and uh, they're not in stores. The stores that you could get stuff like that have started to close. I forget what it's called, but there was one at the Boulevard Mall where you could get all the college gear. And there was back in the day, there was at Stephen Barney's that's been gone. But those type of stores are having trouble staying open. You go to a UB bookstore and probably find some. There's a shop in the arena. UB Hoops last night, big win at Akron. Yeah, Akron's first they did it comfortably. road loss in the conference. It, it got close at the end. It, I wouldn't say it was comfortable. They they were never really threatened, but they were down early. UB and... did not play particularly well, but well, they won. I, I like the way they played as they've done a lot this year. Defense, rebounding, how hard they played. They, they went through some spells offensively where, you know, the last eight minutes or nine minutes of the second half, they scored, I think, about ten points, eight or ten points. But that happens on the road. And at the end of the day, against a good defensive team, they scored 72 points. I think that's the most points Akron's given up in a conference game. So in context of some of these things with the matchup, I, I think they played pretty well. I think it was a good win for them. They're ranked 25th in the country right now and clinging to it, it seems. They've been moving in the wrong direction. What? Uh, what? Obviously, they need to keep winning. They have to beat Toledo. Right. If they lose to Toledo then they probably fall out of the top 25. They probably will. I don't know if they necessarily should. This is one of their toughest games. Toledo is somewhere around 50 in the net in the Kempom rankings. Yeah. Yeah. Now, they beat them by 30 at UB last month, but this is still a rematch of last year's MAC championship game, the two best teams in the conference, and really maybe a preview of this year's MAC championship game if you look at who you think is going to win each division. And it so it would be if if UB can win, it's another quadrant one win for them, which would be huge for their NCAA resume, and it wouldn't really be a bad loss if they lose. Now that said, twenty five in the AP poll, another loss. It'll be their third loss, I think, in seven games. They're probably not going to be ranked on Monday if they come out of a loss on 
Friday night, even though it's on the road against a good team. Based on how things are shaking out and you have a better global view of the of college basketball and especially what's going on around the you know uh, the teams that are also getting votes or uh, you know 20 to 25 if they beat Toledo is there still a chance that they could fall out of the top 25 no, I don't think they will they got a little bit of a cushion over the first team receiving votes I think it's about 100 points and I think that they'll get some respect for this being a good win it'll probably move up their various power ratings. There's certain people that vote straight based on what those numbers say. I think there's a lot of people that take a look at them before they fill out their ballots. I think UB dropping from 23 to 25 in the most recent poll was a reaction of some voters looking at other voters knocking them out of the poll, and, and they might have said, oh, I didn't knock them down as much for those conference losses that they had next week. I uh, correct for that. Whereas if anybody's paying attention to the MAC and, and how good it is this year, Buffalo going on the road, winning at Akron, and if they can win at Toledo on Friday, should probably have them move up in the poll. If not, they, they definitely should stay at 25 where they are. And obviously, you know, the poll at the end of the day, the AP poll, it's not really going to mean much. It's Well, and there's where, a lot of people voting. Yeah, no, right, right, exactly. But I do think it's a good reflection of where they are. I don't and I think, think it's good for recruiting, too. Yeah, it's good for the, the prestige aspect of it. Yeah, because essentially – it's it's not the same criteria as the NCA committee, but it's sort of the same thing. It's different people coming together and try to come up with a consensus of who's better than who and not taking it as a p- purely subjective rating system or these stats mean this and that. So the NCA tournament seeds aren't going to match exactly the way the top 25 goes. But if you're a top 25 team, it is a good reflection that you're in that mix of you know, the top 25 to 30 seeds in the NCAA tournament. I don't think there's a huge variation. You put that on a sweatshirt. <laughs> you think so? The AP top slogan. 25 team. Yeah. Yeah. Well, right now, <laughs> so yeah, bracket, nationally ranked UB Bulls. Bracket-wise, Joe Lenardi at ESPN as of Mac. 12th, which is what, yesterday, has them as a 7 seed playing in Des Moines against 10 seed Alabama. Uh, CBS has – Jerry Palm has them as a 7 seed as well playing in Columbus – uh, against VCU. Now, seven seed, you're playing, if you win, you're playing the second seed, in which case right. that would be Kentucky in that bracket. Um, it's harder to tell on the other one. Yeah, it's harder to if tell you on look the at that, one. If you do the math on that, a seven seed is 25 to 28. So it is, I don't know if this is what will happen on Selection right. Sunday, but it is lining up pretty well with where you are on the AP poll is the seed line you might be on in, in a bracketology exercise how do you think this team is playing at the moment in terms of are they peaking at the right time are they built to win in march if they get there they're built to win in march they're pretty much the same team they had last year that beat arizona i do think they're a tough matchup for some of these power conference teams that take them a little lightly aren't necessarily ready for how talented some of their best players are and the way they play that how fast they play how quick they shoot I don't think they're peaking right now. They're, they're not necessarily playing their best basketball over the last few weeks. They're dealing with some injuries. They suspended one of their – well, it wasn't a suspension. They benched one of their best players for a half over uh, an incident that occurred in the locker room, kind of a chemistry thing. They're not – I don't think they're having problems, but they were riding higher What about happened a month in the ago. locker room? Well, I wasn't there. I don't know exactly what happened, but a verbal exchange between Nick Perkins and his teammates. Whatever was said – was considered out of line for a senior to, to act like that after a loss, and there was a punishment. It was 
reported by Mike's friends over at the, the train wreck blog that he'd be suspended. <laughs> I was out there for shoot around. Turns out he's not suspended. He was running with the scout team all week, didn't play in the first half, but could have played in the first half if Nate Oates decided they needed him. It was kind of a murky situation. But then the way it was explained to me is that it wasn't that serious. But because he's a senior leader, they felt they had to hold him accountable for the sake of the team. If maybe a freshman had said the same things, if a freshman was bold enough to say the same things, wouldn't have been punished in the same way. All right. When we come back, uh, we're going to get back into the Bills talk. We're going we're gonna to talk more about college basketball later on. I want to uh, check in with Jonah about uh, Canisius men. And uh, they still are 11-13, and 13, but shown some signs of life. And you never know in the metro Atlantic – uh, if you're hitting your stride at the right time. Uh, can you, I say this? Last week yeah. you asked me about Isaiah Reese, and I was sort of speculating. I thought it was a verbal exchange. I got that kind of more confirmed that it was a verbal back and forth between him and Coach Reggie Witherspoon, and, and I don't think he's – the way I'm told, he, I don't think he's going to play for the rest of the year. He's oh, been suspended am- indefinitely, and sometimes indefinite means we don't know when it's going to end, and sometimes indefinite means it's never going to end. <laughs> and it seems like maybe it's one of those, the latter. Because they've been playing pretty well without him. Yeah, they, I mean, they haven't. I shouldn't say they haven't missed him, but they have adjusted and been able to play winning basketball. And something about the chemistry with him on the floor was a problem really all year long. And without him, some of those problems have gone away. That and more when we come back on the Tim Graham Show. Sports Radio 1270, The Fan. The Tim Graham Show, now on Sports Radio 1270, The Fan. He was in for the drinks and the... Uh, some poll uh, over the weekend. Right. Not me so honia. Here we go. Here we go. On Twitter at 1270 a fan. Taking your calls at 270-1270. Here we go. The Tim Graham Show. Uh-oh. Welcome back to Hour 2 of the Tim Graham Show here on Sports Radio 1270 The Fan. February 13th, 2019, Year of Our Lord edition. Let the record reflect that the official Canadian Football League site, www.cfl.ca, the headline is Argos Inc. Defensive Tackle Corey Poop Johnson. So even the CFL's official site is referring to this guy as Poop they got the scoop. Mm-hmm. Huge missed yeah. opportunity from their digital media department. Yeah. That was I, the New York Post. Oh. It'd be a field day. The Argos, however, mm-hmm. did not. The New York Fence Post. The Argos just announced him as Corey Johnson. Yeah, but CFL. They're not about that. <laughs> so this is we were talking about whether or not this guy really goes by poop. He does, and the CFL apparently is obliging him. You can't even use I, that as a tag on like uh, your gamer tag and stuff on xbox <laughs> you can't no i used to try to well at least back with the xbox 360 i couldn't it was a while ago though you used to try yeah poop <laughs> you try bad words that start with their four letters and you try poop and they wouldn't let you do it hmm. or butt what words can't you say <laughs> in the radio how old are you bobby <laughs> <laughs> well at the time no <laughs> That's a good question, Mike. Is there like a list of words? <laughs> Mike Rodak just asked Bobby, I, what words can't you use on the radio? I'll list, I'll list them for you. 
That's why I asked that. Should make great. Literally, just watch the George Carlin bit. Right. Yeah. I just wanted to see if I could catch it. And some of those are allowed now. Yeah, it is. Yeah, actually, there are. There really aren't seven. No, no. Forbidden words anymore. There's like four. Can you say ass? Uh, <laughs> yeah, you gotta be care- a little careful with the context, but yeah. Just wondering. You can. How about if you? He doesn't. Yeah. We don't should have I, a dump button going. He should can't... I write it down? Do you yeah, you can't just add it. We're, we're live on the break. air right now, Mike. I'm just I mean, checking. I I personally know that ass is okay, but if you're gonna sit here and go through all the words, <laughs> can you maybe? Is there a list? Tap the brakes a little bit. Yes, right. there's a list. <laughs> so the the, we'll the words you would later. imagine you can't say. The last segment. <laughs> yeah, right. I'll, I'll run through each and I'll ask you. All right, yeah, sure. Okay. We'll list them off, some game show music. Well, Corey Poop Johnson is off the market, so he won't be a Buffalo Bill this year. No. But who might the Buffalo Bills have to throw the ball to? And we're looking at tight ends also. Tight ends, wide receivers. And what are they going to do at running back? You know, Ethan Albright tweeted out a couple of days ago, uh-huh. right before <laughs> Kareem Hunt signed with the Cleveland Bar, uh, Cleveland Browns. That the Bills were looking at Kareem Hunt. It's what he was hearing, is what he was saying. Well, Ethan Albright's the uh, Redskins long snapper. Oh. He was the guy who got pissed when uh, he was oh, like which, a which Albright? rating in Madden. I'm sorry, which Albright am Madeline. I talking about? Huh? Madeline Albright. Uh, Evan? Is it <laughs> Benjamin? Ben, ben Albright. Benjamin sorry. Albright. Ethan Albright. <laughs> there was some story about that like 10 years ago where he was all up in arms about his Madden rating, the Redskins long snapper. But. So Benjamin Albright yes. tweets out yesterday or Monday that he was hearing that the Bills were kicking the tires on Kareem Hunt. I would expect them to, right? Isn't wouldn't you expect every NFL team to quote unquote kick the tires? Couldn't that sentence be true of every team? Well, that in the wasn't NFL? the phrase that he used exactly, but it was roughly. I mean, we're paraphrasing, but he he specifically mentioned two teams, the Bills and another, and then he signed with the Browns. So anyway, I don't know if that signals anything for. LaShawn McCoy. Because if you're looking at Kareem Hunt, that means you're looking at a number one running back. That doesn't mean you're looking at, you know, bolstering your well, backups. Albeit no. a guy who or might looking not for be available. Right, that's the thing. I, Potentially for the entire I don't, season. I don't think, let's go to hypothetical. Let's say the Browns didn't sign him and the Bills did. You can't really get rid of LaShawn McCoy because you know Kareem Hunt's going to be gone for at least six games. But I mean, what does Ethan baseline. Albright say about this? <laughs> I just found his letter to, to Madden 2007. Let's not read it. Okay, it's, no. There's, let's, there's okay. a lot of words in there that Bobby would not approve of. Um, but <laughs> or the FCC. Yeah, I, I I would still. I've taken Brandon Bean at at his word at his face value that they're going to keep Lashawn McCoy, but I don't think that should prevent them from trying to find another running back. I mean, I think. If they are dead set on keeping LaShawn McCoy and they don't mind the eight nine million dollar cap hit this year, you can still fit a young running back on your roster. Like theoretically, you could still have LaShawn McCoy, Chris Ivory, and Kareem Hunt. I mean, for the money that the Browns signed him for it was a million dollars, it was minimum basically. You can do that. And Kareem Hunt's young, so they should draft a running back. That's what they should do. Somewhat high. To go into the, keeping LaShawn McCoy is one thing because while I think he will be among the most overpaid players in the league entering the season, mm-hmm. they, you know, relative to the value of that position and the production he gave them last year, I still think, you know, 
they have the money in 2019, so it's not a huge issue. As Brandon Bean mentioned, they're not in a spot where they're trying to offload contracts and create space, but that's one thing. If you're bringing him back to count on him to be LaShawn McCoy that he was three years ago, I think that's a huge miscalculation, especially with Chris Ivory and Marcus Murphy as the only you know backups. I think they absolutely have to draft a running back you know, or, you know, bring somebody else in that's younger at the position because you could be sitting there in week three making excuses again for LaShawn McCoy, talking about the offensive line because he's not producing. Or, you know, that's basically what the entire 2018 season was, was, oh, it's no big deal. The offensive line wasn't very good. The offense wasn't very good. But he was getting outperformed by Chris Ivory. He was getting outperformed by Josh Allen. Right. So... You know, yeah, the offensive line wasn't great, but he was also really, really bad, and he's getting old. If he's if he's not going to be that Pro Bowl performer again, what would why would they keep him around at the salary they owe him? You know, is he going to be a Kyle Williams, Eric Wood type leader for them? I, I don't. I, don't see I wouldn't that. say so. Yeah. I mean, what do you say? Four and a half million by cutting him, mm-hmm. I believe, and so that's the number you're looking at rather than the actual cap number because you're, you're sitting there saying do we really need to save four and a half million i would say uh sure if you can go and get uh carry it Spencer over to Long, 2020 right you know or carry it over to 2020 every bit of cap space helps you know long term and i just don't i mean like you i take them at face value otherwise they're playing a, a game of poker that they're trying to trade them or something but i would take them at face value that they're going to keep them i just think it's the wrong thing to do. Yeah, to me, I remember reading Ernie Acorsi's book, the former Giants GM, and there was something in there where he had like a rule where he said you never cut a player unless you have a replacement for him. So that could be the philosophy here where until we find out or find the next guy, we're not going to let go of Sean McCoy just because. And again, I think you can make arguments either way. On that one, now I can foresee a scenario where they do draft somebody, let's say the second round. I mean, Alvin Kamara was a great second-round pick. I mean, Kareem Hunt. Kareem Hunt. I mean, watch the Super Bowl. You had a top-five pick in Todd Gurley. Granted, he didn't do much or play much. But then Kareem you had... Hunt and Alvin Kamara were both on the board when the Bills traded up for Zay Jones. Mm-hmm. So that you can get right. running backs on well, day two. And Sonny Michelle in the first round. I mean, the Patriots – they tend to zig when everybody else zags. So you have a, a devaluing of running backs over a period of time, and then boom, the Patriots take one in the first round. Granted, there's other teams that did. I mean, the Seahawks took Rashad Penny. That didn't work out as well. But um, there's a value to taking a running back early and having a young running back on your team. So if they do get into that situation where they draft one high or maybe they sign a free agent who they like, who they didn't think they are going to get. Not that there's a bunch of them out there. I mean, Mark Ingram will be one name. Um, Tevin, Tevin Coleman, Coleman is out there. The, Jets the, the value really of getting him. a running back in the second or third round, whenever it is, is that you have him on that cheap contract for four mm-hmm. years at a position where four years sometimes is the prime of a guy's career at that spot. And so right now they're paying for what LaShawn McCoy was, not what he is or what he's going to be. And – when you throw into the mix all the headaches he's caused off the field, including this offseason, tweeting about needing, oh, I just need one of these Alabama offensive linemen, or, mm-hmm. oh, I would love to, you know, commenting on some Quentin Nelson 
Instagram post saying, man, I would love to have a guy like this, you know, stuff like that, that Brandon Bean has come out and said, you know, that's not how we want to handle things. Not how many you times want out do of you your wanna, captains? No. Right. How many times do you have to sit, stand up there as an organization and say, well, that's obviously not what we condone. Or, you know, we got to wait to see all the facts. Or How many times do you have to explain away a guy's behavior or reasons he's in the headlines? I mean, I just think he's not even close to worth the trouble. I mean, you know, especially as a guy that's supposed to be a captain, a they, guy that you're, you're counting on as a leader, the guy that you had to, what, bench for a play just to make a point because he was speaking out of line, you know, late well, in the season. Well, he says, now he says that he was late for the team bus, but... You know, Either way, who you want, yeah. It's you know, and that's part of him too. Is you know, you can only believe what fifteen percent of what comes out of his mouth, and that's a guy that, like you said, you keep a high-priced guy around if if you're you know counting on him to be a leader. But if you're counting on that guy to be a leader, it kind of flies in the face of everything they've talked about wanting in their in their players. And it seems to me like just given the way his contract structured, there's no roster bonus, there's no guaranteed salary. They could cut him. August 31st, and it would be the same dead money as if they cut him today. So in their minds, it could be, and again, they don't they haven't explained their philosophy, and they won't, but it could be that they will just keep him around, see what else they can come up with in the draft and free agency, and then see where they are, maybe even see where he is at, at training camp. Well, and you still uh, wonder what, what happens with everything that happened last summer. Mm-hmm. A lot of that's still hanging in the air, All and the league – you know, could make a decision on that when when it reaches its conclusion. So you have that hanging over. At any minute, that could go take a really bad turn for LaShawn McCoy, and then the bills are attached to that. Any updates there, Mike? I know you stay on top of that. Not really. I mean, um, NFL-wise, the latest we know is what he said on air a couple weeks ago on on ESPN on First Take, which is the NFL's investigating him. I mean, the civil suit is still in federal court. a lot of it's just procedural stuff right now, like the uh, his friend, Marcus Porter, who is being sued along with him. His attorneys are arguing a lot of procedural matters. They're saying that Delicia Cordon didn't file her response within the necessary amount of days and, and stuff like that. Uh, a lot of this is actually— this So we're is getting into legal technicalities. Because legal, remember <clears throat> that Marcus Porter moved the case to federal court, and federal court has a whole different set of rules, and her attorneys— in the words of Porter or Porter's attorneys aren't following those rules. So it's almost as if they, they're trying to catch them with a different set of rules in federal court and see if they can get the case dropped that way. That's that's where this seems to be right now. All Sounds right. like Paul Manafort. It's a lot of legal. It's a lot of um, legalese more than it is arguing the actual facts of the case. Right, when we come back, we will get into the receivers and the tight ends. Uh, Zay Jones, Robert Foster, Isaiah McKenzie. That's about all we have to look forward to now. If you're uh, if you're a Bills fan or you want and to Duke think Williams, of, not Poop Williams. Oh, right, right, but right, Duke right. Williams. Duke Williams. <laughs> Don't let, let's not forget him. Duke Williams of the CFL and uh, and a fine story that Matt Fairburn did on Duke Williams. I don't know that anybody else has really taken a look at Duke Williams and his background and why he is at this stage of his career trying to find his way into the NFL uh, because he was at one point considered a blue chip prospect and a future star as a wide receiver in the NFL. He's on the Bills roster right now. And uh, also, what's going on at tight end with Charles Clay and Jason Kroon? We'll get into that on uh, the Tim Graham Show here on Sports Radio 1270 The Fan.
Tim Graham Show. Uh, Tim's discounted prices shattered to the ground by premium prices. On Sports Radio 1270, The Fan. Taking your calls at 270-1270. On Twitter at 1270, The Fan. Welcome back to the Tim Graham Show, Sports Radio 1270, The Fan. Black Betty. Yeah. There is a hilarious mashup of uh, Black Betty and uh, a guy who has just gotten his ass beat on a public bus who then asks for the ambulance. <laughs> really? Check it out. Is, it is, is there hilarious. swearing? Probably. Oh, Probably. Way Maybe down in Alabama. Yeah. Whoa, Black Betty. One of the Please best stop, lines of the Mike. song. <laughs> what, She's Black from Betty? Birmingham. Whoa, way down in Alabama. I see. Good for you. Yeah. Maybe stop that. <laughs> Mike Rodak. Uh, are we out there with this news? I mean, people notice that you have a wedding ring on. Do you talk about being married? Yeah. A little bit. Yeah. Since you brought up my wife <laughs> have we, very early on yeah, in the show. Yeah, I think we've talked about it on the show. Mike married a girl from uh, from Alabama. Turned him into a... Uh, now. Not only does he love the New England Patriots, but he loves the Nick Saban... <laughs> Alabama Crimson Tide. He's got all the division He's... champion sweatshirts. <laughs> all the SEC West. All the, all the most popular teams <laughs> around Western New York. All the lovable all the lovable winners he has. The underdogs. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. Nobody believed in us. <laughs> I have proof of that. All right, so the Buffalo Bills and their receiving core slash tight ends. Let's take a look at this. Zay Jones, Robert Foster, Isaiah McKenzie, Duke Williams. Two of those four guys, three of those four guys really not doing much until later on in the season or after, right? Robert Foster, Isaiah McKenzie, Duke Williams didn't, you know, Duke Williams just signed. Foster and McKenzie emerged. McKenzie, a waiver wire acquisition. Well, I mean. Well, what, Mike? I think you're putting Duke Williams a little too high in his group. I mean, I'm just saying that they're right. these are guys we're looking at as probably who's higher than him. I yeah, mean, they don't have much else. This is going like, on. I'd, I'd still give an edge to guys who have played in the NFL recently: Victor Bolden, um, Damari Scott, Isaiah Ray McKenzie Ray McLeod. Like Ray Ray McLeod. Mm, I don't know. If you're a CFL guy. I saw something, some Bills fan on social media the other day, like saying Duke Williams is a lock to make the team. Why? He's not a, a lock, CFL, but he's, he's a... an offseason signing. He's as good as he was in the CFL last year. He's starting from the bottom of the totem pole. Certainly. He's not a NFL. lock, but he's. Like, throw him yeah. in with the group with Cam Phillips. Cam Phillips has been in the system for a year. I think you throw him in the mix because there's right. not a whole lot right. in the oh, mix. Oh, he's in the mix. I'm just saying, let's. Let's not forget about the other guys who have been here longer. How about if we focus on what the team's going to look like in 2019? Because if we get into Cam Phillips and all these other guys, they're not going to be around. Well, let's get so into, let's not waste our time on that. Let's get into Ray Let's Ray take McLeod. a look at what they should do at receiver, whether they go after it in the draft, how high in the draft they should do it, what they should do with free agency. All right, you want to focus on He's Ray saying, Ray saying the guy, The guy they drafted in the sixth round. So the two receivers they drafted, they drafted two receivers last year, Krantz, at sixth and seventh round, in Ray Ray McLeod and Austin Prohl. Austin Prohl, as we all know, was just a throwaway pick, doing Ricky a favor, essentially, He's giving got his a kid ring. a look. Or almost got a ring. <laughs> he has an NFC Championship sweatshirt with the Rams. 
<laughs> he, might, he might have an NFC Super Bowl. Or, yeah, do they get Super rings Bowl. for winning they do. the NFC? So Ray Ray McLeod posts a picture on Instagram this week, says a uh, picture of him and lining up. by the way, up. yes, the Bills have, and other teams, that they they have championship the rings. Yeah, they, uh, they the do. Four Falls now, Buffalo. They, they generally don't him. wear them. They're I not to Austin's be worn. But. So Ray Ray posts a picture on Instagram of him lining up against the Dolphins cornerback, and then Tredavious White responds to that Instagram with a comment saying, you ain't even get the damn ball. To which Ray Ray McLeod responds to him, says, can't catch and throw, but I'm sure 99.9% chance I was open, no. Shrug emoji. Oh, you're open. You can't catch and throw the ball, though. So essentially you're throwing your quarterback or quarterbacks under the bus. This kind of goes back to my point I was making last segment about LaShawn McCoy and his tweets. I think in general, probably all players, but especially Bills players, would would be you know pretty wise to follow the rule of never tweet. Yeah. So then you had Jerry Hughes this week. You had LaShawn McCoy earlier in the offseason. You have Ray Ray McLeod tweeting an an eggplant emoji. Yes. Saying, (laughs) oh, right. So here's the thing. (laughs) Saying uh, what? Getting getting ready for you guys to eggplant emoji ride me later this offseason or something. (laughs) And it's like, who are you? Get off Twitter. Stop. You're not doing yourself any favors. This is a guy who was left behind from one game. And Sean McDermott kept calling it a football decision, but then Ray Ray McLeod, through his agent, apologized. Maybe just lay low on the tweeting and the Instagram posts and telling people to do heinous things. I, I think that's just... <laughs> to each their own. This guy I mean, is, you know, I don't know. To explain what Matthew is talking about. Meanwhile, so, Poop Johnson's getting work. In the CFL. <laughs> So that's why we bring up Duke Williams, because they have ramrods like this guy. That's why I wanted to talk about it. But this is the guy they drafted. So then he has this Instagram post where his own teammate is essentially saying, dude, shut up. Like, what are you talking about? And this is the cast of receivers they're trotting out there right now, which is why Robert Foster got snaps and, you know, Mm -hmm. had some production. It's why potentially in the top 10 or somewhere soon thereafter, they'll be drafting a receiver who will render Ray-Ray McLeod um, useless, disposable, disposable, uh, expendable, expendable. Moot. It was somebody who responded on Twitter to Ray-Ray's Instagram post and essentially said, like, dude, like you haven't done anything. And <laughs> to, which <laughs> to which Ray-Ray responded with, just don't eggplant emoji ride in a few months. Thank you. Which is the same thing that. LaShawn McCoy was just saying when he was walking around the locker room after the Patriots Which game Which also week 16. speaks to the point we're making about LaShawn McCoy as your leader. Right. You know, it, it Chirping kind of, at the media after a terrible game for him saying, don't ride me next year when I'm better. Which is speaks to the point of your young offensive players that you're bringing in to groom, Josh Allen included, are looking at LaShawn McCoy with the C on his jersey and saying, that's the standard that this organization wants me to live up to. And I don't think that's what you want. You have guys like that spouting off on social media. You have, you know, guys thinking that it's all about them and their numbers or thinking they're better than they are. And uh, that's a a problem at that position in general. But it's why, I I mean, they desperately need to bring in some. Antonio Brown. (laughs) Easy. But Antonio Brown would be like the. Ray Ray McLeod talks like Antonio Brown, but has none of the production. And that's the problem. There's. And you talk to some people who, who agree, quite frankly, is that a lot of rookies coming to the NFL 
and they think they've made it. Like, I'm in the NFL. I get these photo shoots, and the Bills put my picture on Instagram, and, like, I'm a thing now. And they're not. Like, they haven't done anything. And then they don't do anything for their first year, and then all of a sudden they're blaming everybody else. Like, I didn't get the opportunity. I didn't get the chance. That wide receiver room needs not necessarily a number one, as you wrote about, but a guy that you can look at and be like, you know, that guy is a badass. He's a dog. A guy that you can get the ball to and he that you actually feel like is a threat. I mean, guys that can have that alpha personality and back it up. I don't consider Ray Ray McLeod to be an alpha. He's not coming at anybody in training camp and, you know, scaring anybody. Sammy Watkins did that. He ran by Stephon Gilmore, one of the first practices I ever covered, for a 90-yard touchdown, and it was like, all right, this guy means business. He wants to go out there and compete. And they have too many guys in the wide receiver room, I think, that are that are quick to make excuses or pass the buck and not really take responsibility for what's going on. And, man, I look at DK Metcalf as a guy that, you know, people are talking up as a potential first-round pick. He looks like a monster. Uh, there was a picture of him tweeting, tweeted out yesterday where it looks like he should be playing linebacker. That I don't not, know how he's going to move problem. around. That's that, what Jim Nagy from the Senior Bowl tweeted is that's a bad thing. There's no yeah, mobility That doesn't there. get me excited when I see a receiver looking like that. Maybe, that's maybe what, not, but we'll see how he moves in Indianapolis. I also think the picture was, I don't know if it was even real. He, was, he looked kind of distorted a little bit, but he's always been a big dude who can, you know, make those types of plays. He's still pretty raw, um, but that's a guy that, you know, a guy like that or anybody in this pretty deep wide receiver class in the first couple of rounds, somebody that can bring a spark to that room and maybe match Josh Allen's intensity at times on the field where it feels like they weren't getting a whole lot of that. Do you know who I think is still pretty raw? Poop Johnson. (laughs) (laughs) He couldn't even get it out of his mouth. Oh, I don't want it to be in my mouth. All right. Sorry. Yeah, Josh Allen, you know. Yeah, why don't you take it away, Mike? <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, there Crooked was. <laughs> take it. Take it from me. Save me. All right. Let's talk about Josh Allen because I don't think we've addressed him yet on this show. And, um,. You talk directly to him. <laughs> you have an address. Well, the phone's off the hook. I, I figured somebody's on the phone, but Bobby, who's on the phone? Nobody. Nobody. Yeah. Okay, the phone's just been sitting there off the hook, and I figured People somebody keep was calling. You can't get him calling us and disputing one of our points. But um, I, I think it's easy to look at this off season and say, like a lot of Bills fans are so high on Josh Allen that it's all about find some receivers, find some tight ends find the offensive line and at some point you have to look back at Josh Allen and say there's still a lot that he has to do himself to get better and it's not all about what's around him and there's a lot of unanswered questions and um I don't know if doubt is the right word but we don't know if Josh Allen is right skepticism we don't know if he's going to be the franchise quarterback going back he's gonna get a Long chance, but he's he's not a sure thing. Going back to what you guys talked about last week with the offensive line, um, something I've been working on is, you know, you guys brought up this point, him getting rid of the ball quicker and understanding what's going on up front and what defenses are trying to do to him could 
do more for the offensive line than any addition that they make because, you know, part of that Patriots offensive line, you know, is Tom Brady getting rid of the football. Same go. Look at all the top offensive lines in the league, you know, Drew Brees and the Saints. Drew Brees gets rid of the ball quickly, knows where he's going with it, and a veteran quarterback, or at least one who's smart and well-versed in what's going on, understands where the blitz is coming from and gets the ball out of his hand and, you know, doesn't get sacked as often because of that. I think that's probably priority one for Josh Allen, more so than, you know, any of the mechanical stuff or little things that he may have done wrong is figuring out. I thought he got better at it as the year went on, but just having a better awareness and sense of where pressure is coming from and how to combat that before the the snap with protections. And that's, I think I mentioned on the show last week that he had the longest time before his passes in the NFL last season. In fact, it was the second longest in the last 10 seasons. But what's factored in there is the is running around. No, 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 no. Well, his runs, though, aren't factored into that. It's before No, but pass. think of all the times where he ran and just didn't cross the line of scrimmage and still threw the ball. Right, but that's But some of that is point. Josh Allen. He would still probably be it's, near the top in that stat. But also, I think another element that ties into that is Brian Dable mm-hmm. because, you know, sometimes he's sitting back there waiting for deeper routes to develop. And, you know, he needs to learn, obviously, to take check downs when they're there or, you know, take the easy play instead of trying to be a hero on on every drop back, which he's prone to doing. But Brian Dable also needs to figure out what works and script things so that the ball is getting out of his hands quicker and on time. There were times he has to trust what he sees and he has to have that internal clock, which I just don't know if he quite developed. And that's you know, kind of the, the double-edged sword of running the ball the way that he does is you're not necessarily training yourself to stay on schedule and make the easy plays. You're always looking for that, you know, home run play. And while right. it looked good, you know, using it as a crutch can kind of stunt your development. You need singles and doubles. You need the offense to have rhythm. I mean, he not only held the ball the second longest of any quarterback in the past 10 years, Tim Tebow had the longest in 2011, but his average – air yards per pass were the fourth highest in the last 10 years. The only higher ones were Tebow in 11, Drew Stanton in 2014, and Jameis Winston this year, who averaged more air yards per pass. So it's a lot of difficult passes. That's part of why his accuracy or his completion rate is so low. But then when he's throwing short, he's not accurate throwing short. It's almost like he makes the hard throws look easy and the easy throws look hard. In fact, he had the lowest completion rate this year in the NFL on throws five yards or shorter in terms of areas. Well, I'll raise this point, though, is he ha- he's got terrible targets to throw to. But uh, here's the thing. The, the people that you throw to in those situations are your running backs and your tight ends. He was off target 14% of the time on those short passes, which was the highest rate in the league. And his drop rate, if you look at recording a drop for a receiver, was only 10th highest in the NFL this year. So there's actually nine quarterbacks – whose receivers dropped a higher percentage of passes. There's also the element of getting open, though. And Charles Clay was not getting open quickly. Kelvin Benjamin was not getting open quickly. This is, again, you know, LaShawn McCoy should be one of those guys for you and, quite frankly, was not. And so I think you could make an argument that running back and tight end are the two worst positions on the team. They're not the most important, but they are the two worst spots where they are right now and I think as much as we want to look at even worse than O-line 
O line is right there, and O line's a more important need. But because I think tight end agents. is awful. They have three guys that don't even belong. Two guys that definitely don't belong in the league, and one guy who's gro- grossly overpaid. As much as they need a number one wide receiver, there's also a need for a, a slot guy. I mean, watch what Julian Edelman did for the Patriots in the Super Bowl. Well, that's what they tried to do with drafting Ray Ray McLeod and Austin Prohl. They were looking for a, yeah. a slot player. Isaiah McKenzie ended up being McKenzie. that for them, but even in that, a lot of I mean, in a lot of the best offenses, not even just the Patriots, that slot position is huge. I mean, Alvin Kamara mm-hmm. basically plays that type of role at times in the Saints offense, and it's a big deal. Now, to your point, Josh Allen needs to prove that he can make use of a guy like that before they go out and spend a ton of money. You know, Adam Humphreys is a guy that could fill that yeah. role. He did it for the Buccaneers, yep. and he might command between 8 and $10 million a year maybe a little bit steep, but it's especially steep if your quarterback can't hit him and can't right. keep him, you know, develop that chemistry and, and stay on schedule with him. At times, Julian Edelman is running routes that aren't even defined right. because just, he's just getting open and Brady's finding him. And, and they know they're so in tune to each other. I mean, they've been together now for 10 years. They're both seeing the same thing. There's yeah. going to be a soft spot in the defense, find a way to f- get there, find a way to beat this certain guy. That's what makes you know some of those guys so great. The Bills, you know, Isaiah McKenzie was okay last year, but I still think the slot player and tight end, you know, factors into that as well because those guys have to play in the slot. And if you find the right running back, you know, that guy can play in the slot at times too. Well, Sean McCoy is supposed to have that skill set, but doesn't seem to anymore. So they need more weapons, and then you need the proof that that Josh Allen can hit them because. He made the point last year that he feels like, you know, when he's at nine iron distance, he's hitting with a four iron, which is kind of a good analogy, which is shows that he understands his problem, but right. that Makes he has easy throws a, a problem. And, I mean, look at Brady, not to be typical Rodak, but, I mean, he's only had that true number one wide receiver once, and that was Randy Moss for a year and a half. Two, right? yeah, two, two. two and a half years, three and a yeah. half years. Yeah. Otherwise, it's what he's had has been that dependable slot guy, Troy Brown, Wes Welker, Danny Amendola, Julian Edelman. Mm-hmm. He, those are the guys that – and he's also had the receiving running back. Whether James it's ben, White. James the White. The tight ends, Shane Aaron Vereen. Hernandez, Rob Gronkowski. Those are important players in Kevin any offense. Uh, but Brian Dable is coming from that you know tree, and mm-hmm. so you would think he knows the importance of those positions. And – you know, they don't have, and that kind of speaks to the bigger problem of this offseason, is they don't have enough draft picks and money to fix it all because they have a lot of problems, and they're not all going to be fixed at once, but they can not all look the, a lot better if Josh Allen makes a big jump. They do have enough draft picks and money. They just can't possibly expend all it all. Now. Right. They, it's, they have 10 draft picks and $83, 84000000 million to spend, but... There's, you can't fix everything no. at once. And you're your gonna, batting average they're gonna is only going to be get, 500. They can probably address 20 to 30% of their needs. I mean, look at because this that's past just you're competing with 31 other teams. Uh, and your 10 draft, draft picks, picks aren't all going to hit. Well, and they're not all in the first round. You know, there's only, what, three in the first three rounds. The rest of them are dart throws. Special, because special teamers. Right, they're day three picks. Maybe you, you hit on one or two like they have in recent years, but there's no guarantee that you're getting a starter on day three. So that's where 
Josh Allen can mask a lot of those issues if he takes a big jump. And we've seen quarterbacks take pretty big jumps with different stories, you know, guys that made the jump themselves uh, and made everyone around them look better, guys who had teams that put more talent around them. And, you know, a lot of this, I think, to Mike's original point is it will fall on him. I, I don't ever really buy the excuse that a guy got, you know, screwed because there was no talent around him. Because the best quarterbacks, that doesn't doesn't ever seem to be a major issue, which is why I think a lot of that money should be put into the offensive line because that is something that can help a guy's development where he's still figuring out that protection aspect of things and figuring out his internal clock. At least he's got an offensive line that he can trust that helps him between the years. Well, at some point, that label has to drop or that excuse, quite frankly, has to drop from Josh Allen because – at Wyoming, that was always the thing. Even Brandon Bean even said it. You know, who else at Wyoming even got a sniff from an NFL team was essentially the way he put it, saying that there wasn't enough talent around him. And I think his first year in the well, NFL, well, that's his, that's his last year there. His 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 previous year, there were there quite was a, bit a, of a running back went to the NFL. I think two of his offensive linemen and uh, Tanner Gentry with the Chicago Bears, the receiver. So he has had NFL talent around him. Now his last year there, he didn't. And they were an awful running team, which put everything on him. But, all right, we'll get into that. We, we're going to hit a break here. Um, and if, and I urge people to check out the athletics uh, coverage on that. Matt and I have uh, done some work that we're pretty proud of regarding the Bills offseason, taking in-depth looks at all of the different issues uh, that are facing the Bills, heading into free agency, the draft, uh, and even beyond that. Uh, check it out at uh, theathletic.com. And... Um, the work's been pretty popular. Uh, based on the numbers, uh, people are uh, reading it. If you don't subscribe, uh, please consider it because uh, I think you'll, you'll come away uh, with some uh, pretty good perspectives that Matt and I have tracked down from around the league, former Bills, uh, people around the NFL like Bill Parcells and uh, Rick Trickett, uh, super minds uh, who take a look at this stuff and uh, have done well with it. Uh, this is the Tim Graham Show on Sports Radio 1270 The Fan. I got a feeling that you want to come over. I get you here and I will... This is Sports Radio 1270 The Fan. The Tim Graham Show. What are you looking at now? Nothing. What are you looking at now? Nothing. Here's what a poor boob looks like. I've got news for you. This poor boo is you. Taking your calls at 270-1270. The Tim Graham Show. The Tim Graham Show. Oh, that's trash, young lady. No, you can't. Hey, stop that young lady! The charity's on fire! The Tim Graham Show on Twitter at 1270thefan. This is Sports Radio 1270thefan. Welcome back to the Tim Graham Show here on Sports Radio 1270 The Fan. We have on the line uh, Leon. Did Leon say where he's calling from? Bobby? Uh, I believe in Buffalo. He in didn't, Buffalo. Uh, that's my assumption. All Leon? Right. Now, Leon is uh, on the line, and uh, he says he wants to talk to me about Mike Harrington. And I'm doing this with some trepidation. But this is an open forum, and uh, let's see what Leon has to say about Mike Harrington. 
I have no idea whether he's pro Mike Harrington or anti Mike Harrington. <laughs> I'm sure he's not neutral on Mike Harrington because he was at least. Uh, Do we know whether this is Mike himself? This could be. Let's see. Leon, are you there? Hi. Is this Tim Graham? This is. I am Tim Graham from The Athletic, sitting here with Mike Rodak of ESPN.com. Matthew Fairburn, he covers the Bills for The Athletic. And Jonah Bronstein of uh, Bronstein Enterprises. How you doing, Leon? Thanks for calling in. Good. I just want to find out what your beef is with Mr. Mike Harrington. Oh. Well, I've been pretty clear on that on Twitter. I just don't uh, think much of him as a human being. He's, he's a good hockey writer, don't That's you think? That's true. He is a good hockey writer. And he's a good baseball writer. Yes, he is. He's in the Bisons Hall of Fame. Uh, you're right. He should be in the Sabres Hall of Fame, too. I uh, Well, could be. Could be. I think the Sabres do have some media members in their Hall of Fame, like Jack Gatecliff and Jim Kelly. So you don't like him because you don't think he's a good human being? No. I've mentioned it on Twitter. You know, he has uh, he likes to send people direct messages that are very belittling, uh, especially women, uh, women reporters. And uh, these women have confided these text messages in me. I've seen them uh, with my own eyes. Uh, you know, things where he likes to bully them, call them pathetic, um, accuse them of essentially sleeping around for their scoops. And uh, I, don't think that, uh, I don't think that that's a way to conduct yourself as a professional, and it's something that I had to pretend not to know about when I was at the Buffalo News. And now that I'm not at the Buffalo News anymore, I don't need to pretend like I like the guy. And I think that if he were as good of a human being as he was a reporter, then I think that he'd be um, somebody that I really – uh, would respect, but you called in and asked, and I'm trying to be as honest and transparent as I can be. And um, you know, I know that he has been looked at by human resources at the Buffalo News. I've personally been asked about him by our human resources people and our company attorney. Um, I know that some women uh, that he has gone after have been approached by our attorney slash human resources people, and. Um, so that's that's why I don't think much of Mike. I think he's an angry person, and um, I think that he does a disservice to the Buffalo News. There are a lot of people at the Buffalo News who are working very hard under very trying circumstances, uh, people who uh, have no other options because they live in Buffalo and they cover things like city hall and school boards and local politics and they don't have the option to just go somewhere else and cover an NHL team in a different market. Uh, not that I'm saying that Mike would either. I don't know that he would. But there are a lot of people who are copy editors, who are graphic designers, who drive the trucks at the Buffalo News, who are dependent on subscriptions. And on a daily basis, Mike does, seems like he's doing his damnedest to upset people to the point where they don't want to read his work anymore. Now, I know that he has his following, his loyal followers out there and it sounds like that you respect his work but on a daily basis on twitter he tells people they don't know anything that he is the person who knows that he is the one who must be listened to and if you don't he blocks you uh and these are people who the buffalo news desperately needs desperately needs to be subscribers to sign up for the product not people who deserve to have a palm put on their forehead and shoved into the dirt and told that they're stupid because they are not in his position, that they are not in the locker room. So it's a, it's a passionate topic of mine because I see what he does. I think he hurts the paper um, with the way he conducts himself. 
Now, that said, he's a great reporter. And if he were to delete his Twitter account today, then I think that the Buffalo News would be way better off for it. Um, but that's not the case. And uh, so that is why I have a problem with Mike Harrington. To me, it's personal. And um, he's challenged to essentially fight me uh, when he sees me because he doesn't think that I'm professional. But that's fine. I don't have to answer to him. He doesn't have to answer to me. But there are a lot of people at the paper who are stuck with his antics, and they can't do anything about it. So that's my position on Mike Harrington. Yay. Anything else? You, I mean, I'm, I'm willing to listen if you want to defend him. I mean, I just went on a nice diatribe there, Leon. But if you do want to say some things about Mike, I'm more than willing to, to give you the time to do that. Uh, I don't know him like you do. Okay. All right. Well, thanks for calling in, Leon. And uh, apologize if you were trying to call in earlier. We were having some troubles with our phones. So uh, if that was you trying to call in earlier, sorry we couldn't take this earlier. Okay. All right. Thanks for listening. So, Kanisha's basketball. How are they doing it without uh, Isaiah Reese? Oh, boy. Well, I haven't seen him play, but I think the chemistry is a little bit better. And playing good defense. I mean, they, they won some games with Isaiah Reese earlier in the lineup. But three out of their last four without him. Sharing the ball. Niagara, you want to give us a Niagara report while we're at it? I'd have to look. So, Niagara's not playing as well. Big high school game tonight. Are you going to make it? The weather looks yeah, terrible. Yeah, I don't know. The weather might throw a kink in there. It doesn't start till 730, so I got some time to uh, What's the match this out. We got number one large school park defending state federation champion. Noah Hutchins, best player in western New York. I'd say that's probably a consensus. And O'Hara, number one small school undefeated. Oh. Probably the two best teams in Western New York. Olean's also undefeated, so two of the three. Hmm. Park's beaten all the other large schools. O'Hara's beaten many of the large schools. So these are maybe as big of a matchup as it gets in, in a regular season high school game around here. All right. Well, we're actually right up against it. Leon called in. It's a rare phone call that we get and uh, totally killed our last segment. I guess I could have been a little tighter, but uh, I didn't expect to be talking about that today. And uh, as people may have gathered i have some thoughts on it so leon <laughs> happened to ask me about it i think he probably was doing uh, mike a, uh, a solid by calling up and uh, and sticking yeah. sticking up for mike but uh, leon uh, i'm sorry he was walking into leon uh, leon <laughs> walked into like. a buzzsaw <laughs> so He's like, okay sorry leon it's not your fault uh believe me uh, i want to thank matt fairburn for coming here in the studio and sitting here for two hours and talking some bills uh, laying on some great insights uh, Matthew Fairburn, please check out his work at The Athletic. He covers the Bills and does an amazing job of it. Uh, Mike Rodak of ESPN.com, also doing some incredible work. Has been covering the Bills for how many years now? Four? Is this uh, your fourth season covering the I'm Bills? Covered them for six seasons now. Six? See, it bleeds together with Mike because I knew Mike when he was covering the Patriots <laughs> at ESPN Boston, which yeah. e exists in URL only now. Yeah, yep. But anyways, Mike's been covering the NFL for a long time. And uh, Jonah Bronstein giving us his thoughts on basketball. Bobby Rosati doing a yeoman's job handling the phones today for whatever reason. Leon was persistent. I'm, I'm thinking that was Leon called in probably four times. And uh, finally got in on the last segment. I don't know if he, he's thankful for that or not. But 
Uh, yeah, uh, the Tim Graham Show comes at you every Wednesday. Uh, you can check us out uh, next Wednesday, 4 o'clock to 6 p.m. here on Sports Radio 1270 The Fed.